0: All right, what if, what if your life really took on a totally new dimension in the spiritual realm in 2016? What would it look like? What would it look like for you to have a greater percentage of your prayers answered? What would it mean to you if, if when you studied the Word of God, God showed you new and great things that you hadn't seen before? That God gave you a spiritual insight into the word that in previous days was just not there? What if that were true in you? What would happen if when someone came to you and said, would you pray for me, you with confidence would pray believing that you would be seeing the hand of God? Wouldn't that be amazing? I want to to put this thought in your mind. We're going to talk about crossing Jordan We know the River Jordan in the Bible, but I hope to take it to a new level of spiritual understanding when you begin to see some things about Jordan maybe you hadn't seen before. But I want you to begin with this thought. When you give place to his presence, when you give place to his presence, his presence will change the place. You see, God will take whatever place you give Him, and He will stay out of whatever place you don't. God will allow you to move as far into the dimension of who He is that you want to move. But He will never force you into that place of His presence. See, the presence of God was symbolized in the Ark of the Covenant of the Old Testament. And as they carried that Ark of the Covenant, it was a symbol of his presence, but not a prison house of his essence. It could not contain him. You, as a temple of God, are a symbol of his presence, but you cannot confine him. You can... Hide him, but you cannot confine him. You see, the goal of the Christian life is to become so so powerfully influenced by the Spirit of God that they see him and not us. See, we are not to gather around a sermon or gather around music. We are to gather around the presence. When Israel camped in the wilderness, the Ark of the Covenant was put in the center and the people gathered around the presence. Only one was allowed to go into the fullness of the presence, and that was the high priest. And on the Day of Atonement, he would go into that that presence of, of God, the Holy of Holies, and the Shekinah glory of God would fall. The presence of God would be manifest in that day. But good news to you, because as New Testament believers, the veil has been torn, and we all enter into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, by our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. When I was a kid, my parents would take me to a place called the Denver Drumstick. Not probably one of your hangouts. All they did was serve chicken. I don't remember if it was good or it was bad chicken. I remember my dad always complained because it wasn't close. We'd have to drive some distance to get to the Denver Drumstick. And I would always make a great case for the Denver Drumstick because they had one thing, not chicken, but they had one thing that I wanted they had interactive placemats. Remember those? IHOP has them. Other places have them. You can, you know, you've got a bunch of dots. You get to connect it, and when you're all done, you get an elephant. You get a giraffe. You get something out of the deal. And I loved it. And I would always, when they would say how many, I would always say to the, to the person that was going to seat you, I'd say, there's four. And my mom would look at me, and I'd go, <laughs> because I wanted two placemats. See, I love placemats. Do you realize that God wants you to love a placemat? He wants a place. And he loves it that if you want more than one placemat. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. We're told in Psalm 23 that he prepares a place for us at his table. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life that he anoints our head with oil, that our cup overflows in the place of his presence. You see, that's what Psalm 23 is all about. It's about being in his presence. See, he he leads me beside the still waters. Not the still waters are not significant. This is not a psalm for hunters and fishers. It's It's a psalm for people who love his presence. He recognizes you will go through the valley of the shadow of death, and that's okay if he's present. Then he brings you to the table and it's okay that you're surrounded by enemies because he is present. And you will dwell in the house of the Lord in his presence all the days of your life. I remember one time I went to the Denver drumstick. It's a big part of my life. (laughs) And we had just got started on the whole experience of dining. When I dumped my coat completely on my father's lap. Not intentionally, you understand. No one would do that to an Army colonel who was in military intelligence. You just don't do those things to those kind of people. They have ways of messing with your head, which explains a lot of what's wrong with me today. And he said, it's over. We're done. No placemat, no chicken. We're going home kind of made sense. But you know what I felt in that moment? I felt ashamed. More than I I had the loss of of the experience, I felt ashamed. Everyone was looking at me. See, there's a principle that we, we live with. It's a part of fallen society. It is we live with a certain measure of shame. It's something on the inside that that people don't see most of the time. It's just something you feel, it's something you experience. It's it's what you feel when you go into a crowd and you don't feel accepted, you feel a bit of shame. It's what you feel when you, you can't do something someone else can do, you feel a certain level of shame. When you see someone else who succeeds in greater ways than you, you feel a certain level of shame. Today we're going to look in the book of Joshua, the third chapter, and I I, want to begin in the third chapter uh, a little bit later. I want to start with chapter 5. I want to work my way back instead of forward in Scripture. Here's what I want you to think about. Isn't it time that you leave shame behind? Whatever it is, whatever level of shame, whatever you're experiencing, isn't it time to kind of put it behind you? I want to show you how God shows that in Joshua chapter 5. It begins in verse 9. It says this, Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And the literal word in the Hebrew is the word shame. You see, when Joshua crossed over the Jordan, he said, I've rolled shame away from you. There had to be a crossing over before there could be a removal of shame. There's some things you have to cross over before you're going to have the freedom to feel the joy that comes apart from shame. The word reproach is an interesting word. It's a, it's a Hebrew word, herpa. It literally means shame. But here's what it really, really means when you study it. When you study it from the Hebrew, it means that it was considered to be by the Hebrews a dark force that produces unbelief and disobedience. It is the spirit of shame that came upon those who in that wilderness journey of 40 years, having seen the glory, having seen the miracles, and having seen the signs that God would perform They would question God, and they would have a greater love and connection with Egypt than they would with God. It doesn't seem possible that you could see the miracles, see the wonders, see the signs, and not love a God like that. But it's exactly what they did. The minute they crossed the Red Sea, the great miracle, which had followed the ten great plagues, which were miracles... The minute they crossed over, they began to grumble in their heart, which is a Hebrew word that means to fill your mouth with rocks and try to talk. You ever heard anybody like that? How you doing? Whoa, whoa, whoa. And you just go, what? That's what it meant. Do you know that they didn't grumble until they saw the miracles? They never grumbled in Egypt as slaves. They were content to be slaves, but they were not somehow content to be the recipients of miracles. That's a pretty interesting thought. It's almost like when God increased the miracles, the grumbling increased. I don't have an explanation for it. I just have an observation from it. I believe the kingdom cannot be properly sought. You cannot really seek out the kingdom without miracles. When Jesus came, he validated the kingdom was upon them by miracles changed lives, things that were unexplainable in their life and in their world. Because, you see, the kingdom was an invitation into a realm that was superior to all all of the realms. You could not compare the kingdom of God to the kingdom of earth. There was just no comparison whatsoever. They functioned differently. They had different goals. They had different everything. If anything in you wars against the knowledge of God... It will lead you to a spirit of shame. You see, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, there was something that was warring against the knowledge of God inside of them. They didn't know what it was. They would find out later what it was, but it was warring against them. It led them to then turn away from God. And you remember what the first response was? They hid themselves because they were a shame. the spirit of shame will follow you. That's why you have to embrace the presence. You have to embrace the presence, which is really the journey. You know, we're all on a journey, aren't we? I mean, journey began the day we were born, and we began this journey of experience and life and good and bad and hurt and pain and joy and sorrow and laughter and all of those things. And the journey, for most of us, has been pretty good, especially when we focus on the good you ever notice when you focus on the bad, it gets worse? I mean, I can find something wrong with anything, or I can find something right with the same thing. Just depends on how I look at it. Now let me take you to Numbers. This is part of the story. We're kind of moving back. Remember, we're starting here. We're moving back in the Old Testament before we can move forward. Numbers chapter 14, verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live. The earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all of these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have now put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Now what's interesting here is, now we're going back and we're going back to Egypt and God is bringing this these, this whole generation up to the Jordan River. And at the Jordan River, he says, not everybody's going in. For 40 years, God fed them. They never hungered. For 40 years, their clothes never wore out. For 40 years, they saw the miracle hand of God. And yet they came to the Jordan and said, a whole generation will not go in. There's only two in that generation that's going in, Caleb and Joshua. Moses did not get to go in. Moses was took up on Mount Nebo there, and he was allowed to look into the promised land, and he begged God. He begged God over there in Deuteronomy chapter 3. He said, can I go in? Please, will your mercy extend and let me go in? And God said, no, you're not going in. And I read that. I, I just I felt bad for Moses. You know, this guy put up with, a million plus griping Jews in the wilderness. Give the guy a break. Right? You know what his only crime was that that God identifies? They needed water and, and God showed Moses a, a rock and he said, strike the rock. And water came out of it. And He was a hero and God was a hero. And then a second time they needed water. And this time God says to Moses, Speak to the rock, don't strike it. And you know what he did? He struck the rock. Doesn't seem like a big crime, does it? I mean, when you strike the rock, if people are grumbling at you for 40 years, I'd be striking a couple of Jews on the head. Why was he so intent on keeping him out because of striking the rock? Because Corinthians tells us the rock was Christ. The rock was a picture of Christ. And when he struck the rock, he was re-crucifying Christ. The first time it struck, he was, cru- it was Christ crucified. The second time, it was saying, it's not enough. I'm going to crucify him again. You see, once Christ has died for you, you don't have to ask forgiveness of your sins in terms of salvation again. You are saved. The blood of Christ continually cleanses you from all sin. You simply speak to him. You are a high priest in the kingdom of God. You don't need a go-between. Jesus is your go-between. He is your mediator. You don't confess your sins to me. You confess faults to one another, but you only confess sins to God because only God can, confess, can, can forgive sin. The journey that you're on is going to break you or it's going to bless you. Let me show you something. This is where it's starting to get good now, all right? At least it's good for me. I'm having a good time. If you're not, hang in there. Maybe it'll get better, amen? All right, Deuteronomy chapter 11. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt. There's nothing about Egypt that's like the land of Israel. You know why? Well, if you look at the original land grant for Israel, Israel, believe it or not, is kind of shaped like a pyramid. And the river flows, right? River flows downhill like it's supposed to from the Galilee down into the Dead Sea. It's a land that's blessed by God. But if you go to the land of Egypt, it's like a pyramid upside down and the river flows the wrong way. It flows uphill. There's everything about Egypt is backwards. He says the land you're going to is not like any, it's not like the land that you're going to come into where you, now look what he says. It's not like the land of Egypt from which you have come where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. Now, that's a curious phrase, isn't it? I mean, that's something you can read over and go, I don't know what that means, but it's not significant because he's just talking about watering something. You know what he's talking about? The whole land of Egypt, very rarely does it rain in Egypt and everything depends upon the overflowing of the Nile and then irrigation. In other words, the water you drink in Egypt in Egypt is never fresh. It comes from foot. The land you're going to is nothing like that. Look what it says here. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven. It's fresh. Now let me just... I don't have the notes up here, but I just want to read a little further in in Deuteronomy 11 because it's just so good. A land for which the Lord your God cares. Remember, it's not like that. God doesn't care about Egypt the way he cares about Israel. Not saying he doesn't care about Egyptians or Egypt. He just saying, no, it's different. The caring is different. The eyes of the Lord, our God, are always on it. God's eyes are always on Israel, always on Israel, always on Israel. That's why we bless Israel. You say, "Well, do you agree with all their politics?" It's not about politics. It's about God's hand on it. It's about God's blessing. Are there bad people in Israel? Yes. Are there bad people in America? Yes. Are there bad people in this church? Absolutely. Are there bad people in your house? Sure. Bad people are everywhere. Getting saved doesn't mean you stop being a bad person. Just means you're forgiven. We're still human, amen? I mean, look around. You see any any saints sitting on on your row? Except you? All right, now look what it says here. It says, the eyes of the Lord are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God, serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, then I will give you rain for your land in its season, early rain and latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourself lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you and he shut up the heavens. You see, the journey of life will either break you or bless you. Guess what? You get to choose. Isn't that great? Have you ever seen anybody that wants to blame somebody? You know, if you ever know when you, you, when you point your finger at somebody, you got three pointing back. That means you're three times more guilty than the guy you're accusing. That's the whole principle of Jesus when he said, if you're so focused on the guy that's got the little bitty, the little bitty splinter in his eye, you better look at yourself because you might have a log in yours. That's the principle. Now let me get, take you further. Or it will lead you to despair or confirm your destiny, the journey. The journey will either lead you to despair or confirm your your destiny. Bill Johnson said this, We must develop a growing awareness of God's presence among us if we are to draw from that presence and walk out our God-given assignment. All right, now, you ready to keep going? Now we're going to go a little bit further into this study. You just have to listen to the whole thing because when we get done you're going to see it. If you don't see it, you come back to the second service, and maybe I'll do it better. Amen? Okay. When they crossed the Jordan, something happened, something related to the Holy Spirit. Now, this is really interesting. Remember, he would not let some go in. They turned away from the miracles. They turned away from the signs. They grumbled against God. They weren't happy about anything. He would not let them go in. The promised land is not a picture of heaven. The promised land is a picture of the spirit-filled life. Spirit-filled, spirit-led, it's a spirit-filled life. They had to cross over Jordan in order to get into that promised land, into that spirit-filled life. He kept some out of the spirit-filled life because of their attitude. They wanted to go back to Egypt. Now watch this. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's power. Now watch Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. But my servant Caleb, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, what a curious phrase. Because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. What did did he have? What did Caleb and Joshua have a different spirit, and it uses a phrase literally, an another another spirit. It reminded me of John chapter 14 where Jesus said, And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. Jesus said there's another spirit coming. It's the Holy Spirit. He's going to be, he's with you now, but he's going to be in you. He said to Caleb, he's got another spirit in him. Joshua chapter 3 and verse 13, we're moving backwards, okay? We're still moving back. Joshua uh, 3, verse 13, it says, And it shall come to pass as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests that bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. Do you know what the word Jordan means? It means literally in the Hebrew, descender. Something's descending. It's getting ready to get good. Don't fall asleep yet. All right? The minute they put their feet in the water, the waters drew back so they could cross over. And the Jordan shall be cut off from the waters that come down from above, and they shall stand up on a heap. Now, watch what happens. They cross over. It's a miracle, right? The waters cross over. They get on the other side. And you know what Joshua does? The first thing God tells Joshua to do is get 12 smooth stones out of the river and put them in the land of Canaan as a memorial. Now, they were smooth because the water was rushing by them. And we know that, that, that David picked out five smooth stones. Remember that? To kill the giant? Why did he get smooth stones and not rough stones? You say, well, he knew something about aerodynamics. Maybe. But maybe there's more to that story than, than we know. Maybe David was pulling on this story. So they got five smooth, uh, 12 smooth stones. They put them there in Canaan. And then Joshua does something that most people miss in the next couple of verses. He tells then his men to go get 12 rough stones and put them back in the river. It's a curious thing, isn't it? Why would you put 12 rough stones back in? God only said take 12 and put them on the air. Because you see, the stones that were smooth became smooth by the trials and the difficulties in the presence of God. And by taking the 12 rough stones and putting them back in the water, he was saying that descendants or all the followers, all the residents of Canaan are going to have to be converted. Everything rough in them is going to have to be removed. We can't go into this land without converting people. As Christians, we're called to be instruments of conversion, ambassadors of Christ. It is never our task to collect 12 stones and and create a monument for what we have become. It is always our responsibility to get 12 rough stones and put them back in the river of God. For from the throne of God comes all the presence of God. That's why when we see him, we will see the river of life that flows from the throne of God. And on every side of that river, there are trees that yields their fruit in all their seasons. And it says that those trees are for the healing of the nations. I think there's going to be some healing that's going to still have to take place in heaven. Because why do you have healing trees in heaven if you don't need healing? The nations have to be healed somehow. Now it's interesting that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. And do you remember what happened when he was baptized? It said the spirit of God descended on him, like a dove. Do you remember that? The priests step into the Jordan. The descender. The Jordan is the descender, and something happens there. Why was it that uh, the Assyrian general was told to go dip uh, seven times in the Jordan River? He'd be cleansed. He said, aren't the rivers of Babylon better rivers? They're cleaner rivers. Yes, they're cleaner rivers. They're better rivers, but they don't have the Spirit of God. If you get in the wrong river, you'll miss the spirit. You'll get the wrong spirit. You'll adapt a spirit of shame instead of a spirit of courage. Holy Spirit, when he descends on us, it's an invasion of the presence of God. You see, the Holy Spirit is in you by by, by residency if you're a Christian. He lives in you. But he can be such an unwelcome guest in your home that you don't have him reigning as king. You don't feel him. You don't know him. You become critical of God and what God does and what God's up to, and you think you know more. And if you were God, you make statements like, If I were God, I would. You're never further from God than when you make statements like that or when you accuse God of a lack of miracles. That's what he's talking about. You don't ever get to go in the land. I believe some people will never get to go into spirit-filled living because they have built up such resistance in their own heart to it. They'll go to heaven, but they'll never understand what it really means to walk with God. See, that's what it says, don't, when you hear his heart, don't harden your heart in the day of disobedience as did Israel. That's in the book of Hebrews. So it's New Testament. When the Holy Spirit descends, his presence is increased and he displaces the prince of darkness. See, what we want to, what we live for is that the presence increases so the darkness disperses and it diminishes. The only way you do that, you don't do that by, by voting for some political person and thinking they're going to fix it there's not a human being on planet earth that will fix it that will make it better they will only put salve on it and a band-aid until the king of kings the lord of lords jesus christ comes and sits on the throne of his father david and he will rule over the nations with a rod of iron because they're not yet in submission to him but they will be through a thousand years he'll sort them out at the end and he'll say this is their true followers of jesus When the, pre- when the presence it comes in, healing occurs. You see, I don't have a gift of healing. I think I may have a gift of faith, but I don't have a gift of healing. But I, when people are healed in this place, it's not, it has nothing to do with me or you. It has everything to do with the presence. That's why we gather around the presence, not around the sermon, not around the, around the, the music. It's about the presence. We want to increase the presence so more people get healed. Amen? That's our motive. We just want people well. When the presence comes, people are delivered. You know, deliverance doesn't come all at once sometimes. Sometimes it's like a splinter. You ever try to get a little splinter out? You end up cutting your finger up trying to find that little splinter. I've had a little splinter. I thought, you know, it hurts so bad. I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say it hurts. But it does. That little thing, and I'll show it to my she go, that? Go, yeah, it's just killing me. You know, she looks at me like my mom used to, like, seriously? <laughs> but see, then you, you work. You know, you, you, deliverance, sometimes you, you, it, it's got to come slow. You're, you're squeezing on something. And everything comes out but the splinter. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> I don't know. What, what is that white fluid that comes out when I squeeze my finger? I, why isn't it blood? I mean, what's happening in my finger? I'm squeezing on it, you know, and it's getting red. Then I go get a needle. I'm going to pry it out. Now I got like five holes around it and it is still in there. Man, I'm telling you there's some things you're going to be delivered from that are going to cause a lot of pain before they come out. But man, when you get it out and you show it Look at that. That's it. That's all that that's that was causing you that much trouble, that little thing? Hard to believe. See, deliverance doesn't happen all at once sometimes. Sometimes a big splinter, you can get it right out. I know what it is. I got it. When presence comes, unity increases. Now you're concerned about the other guy's splinter instead of critical of his splinter. Right? You got a splinter. Shouldn't have been handling that board. When you move through all these things, society is transformed. That's really what happens. You really transform society. I was thinking about this idea of radical, being radical for you. What would radical look like for you? If you you said, I'm going to be a radical Christian for four weeks, what would it look like for you? Here's what I was thinking, and I'm really kind of working on this sermon series to see if I can really, you know, get this thing launched. But wouldn't radical be that if every single person in this room, every time you went into a public place, you turned around and you looked at the person and said, for some reason, I feel like I need to pray for you. Would that not be radical? I'm not talking about one or two people that are really gutsy. I'm talking about every single one in here. And we just said for four weeks, we're going to be the most radical, crazy people we possibly can and see what happens. Wouldn't that be radical? A couple of guys going, I'm going to be on vacation on that series. That one's not for me. I got other plans. What would a radical look like? I was thinking, wouldn't radical be like we'd have one service instead of two and just, it just keep rolling? So it's 9 to 12. You kinda, it's kind of like a smorgasbord. You get hungry, you come over, and you, you, know, you kind of show up and leave when you get. I mean, just, wouldn't that be kind of radical? What would a radical look like? Maybe a radical would look like every single person in this place would take serious the commands of God and say, I'm going to do that for four weeks. I'll get a break. I can go back to my old lifestyle after the, on the fifth week, but I'm going to do it for four weeks. The only reason I say that is because I think if we really got into the radical flow of God, it would not be something we turn away from, but something we would be drawn into. Yeah, yeah. I think deep down we all want to be radicals, don't we? Yeah. I mean, the good kind of radicals. They were showing a, a film of a guy, uh, you know, the weather on the East Coast. I'm so thankful it's snowing. I'm, just, may it just keep snowing and snowing and snowing. When we lived out there, everybody gave us such a hard time for moving to California. Oh, we love the seasons. Yeah, 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 I hate the seasons. <laughs> Let me tell you the seasons I love. I love summer and almost summer. That's what I love. Right now, I'm freezing to death. I got a shirt on, a sweater, and I'm dying. I'm just going, Are you kidding me? Right? Let it snow. Let it snow. Praise God. When I lived in the deep south, they had that power grid go out up in the eastern uh, seaboard area there. They, all the, all the, 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 the people in the south had these bumper stickers that said, Let the Yankees freeze in the dark. Anyway, I saw this guy. Here's where I was going with that story. I know you where so where is he go with that story? I had, a, I had a plan, and sometimes I actually remember him, okay, the plan that is. So anyway, they've got this guy, and they're filming him in, uh, in Washington, D.C., and there's snow everywhere. It's freezing cold. And here comes this guy that's, you know, at least, let's say, he is never going to be an underwear model. You know what I mean? He's a little bit got hairy chest, and, you know, and he's a little bit overweight, but he's got no shirt on. And they're filming this guy, and he's just smiling, he's got a hat on, yeah! And I'm going, I like this guy. I like this guy. Something inside of us that all want to be like that. Really, right? In our own way, if we thought we could get away with it and not get too much trouble. I think Jesus picked the disciples he picked because I think he looked at them as radicals. They weren't the smartest, they weren't the most educated. They weren't on the in crowd. They did any cool hipster clothes. They were just radicals. He saw in them people that said, you know what? I get it, and I'm going to give it away. I get it, and I want to give it away. That's all. Let's stand together. God, we, uh, we really love to see a bunch of radicals in this place. People who say, I get it, and I want to give it away. Just want to push the envelope a little bit for the kingdom. God, when we get in your presence, it feels easier. We're empowered. Courage comes. Shame goes away. Darkness is dispersed. Life comes. God, I, I pray right now that, that every one of us would have the heart of Courage not because we muster it up, but because of your presence. Would you right now, just just where you stand or where you're set, would you just begin to just invite the presence of God into your life, into the space you're in? Would, if you give him space, he'll fill it. You give him place, he'll fill it. Just right now, just would you just invite him in? Invite the presence. Something like this, God, I... I don't even know how to pray this prayer, God, but I pray your presence right now would increase, that I would sense and I would feel that I would experience an awareness of who you are, God. Just let me walk into it like I walk into a room. Let me feel it like I, like I feel a fog coming in that's, that's only good and only blesses. As your music plays here, I want you just to feel free just to, to sing or to, to just call out to God and say, God, God, I just may your presence come in greater ways. Fill this place, God. God, may I, may I really see it. Maybe there's some areas that you just need freedom in. You need to, you're like that, you got that little splinter. You say, it's just, it's small, but it's bothering me. You've done a lot of things to try to squeeze it out and pry it out of your life. God just wants to deliver it. Let the process begin. Let the presence of God push stuff out of your life. Just push it out. Put shame behind you. Take up joy. Take up courage. Don't dismiss what God hasn't done. Just believe what God can do. Don't ever let it be said out of your mouth. Well, I haven't seen that in my life, or I tried that and it didn't work. Just forget those words. Don't let them be a part of your vocabulary. Change your your thinking, change your speech. Maybe something like this. God, because I haven't seen him in the past, doesn't mean I won't see him today. Because I failed in the past, I'll not fail in the future. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I wonder. Would you just take a moment just commit yourself to the Lord? You say I know the Lord right now and and I just want to recommit myself to this kind of living, this kind of life that just honors Jesus. Would you just say it with your own words right now, you can speak them out. Just speak it out if you want. Just say God, I'm recommitting myself. I'm I'm so, I want to be sold out. I want to be radical. If you've never come into the kingdom through Jesus our Lord. You come by faith by faith and believing in him. Maybe a prayer like this would be appropriate for you. Lord Jesus I believe you died on the cross. I believe you're buried. I believe you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. Save me now Lord Jesus. Save me right now. Put me into the kingdom. Is that your prayer today? If it was just slip your hand up. Just tell God, God here's my hand. God, here's my hand. Amen. Just anyone else. God bless you. Anyone else. God bless you. Father, we've uh, we've hopefully learned a lot from you today. We've experienced you in some fresh ways. God, as we're in the middle of this, uh, uh, the very early days of this fast, God, we pray. We pray that you will move all of our hearts in these three areas as a church. Other areas I'm sure that people have in their individual life, but God, for people to, to profess their faith through the waters of baptism, to be a part of uh, our prayer team, to be a part of our, our children's church, God, to minister to people in generational ministries. Will you just move in our hearts? And now as we go out, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be glorious to you in all that he does. May he lift up his countenance upon you and may you influence your world for Jesus Christ in whose name we pray, amen. Hey, God bless you guys. Have a great day in the Lord.